Good evening, everybody. Um, well, you, all, you all know me and, you all know me and my ugly face. And sitting next to me, I have a less ugly face. I have the wonderful Mathilde Rivo, who uh, is now, it's, it's a very good sort of seamless changeover from uh, the Etienne Griveau to, the, to Mathilde Griveau. I'm working very closely together. Uh, I first knew the wines under Mathieu's grandfather, Jean Griveau, but Etienne increasingly took charge during the later 1980s. And, and now another page turns, as they say. So most of the wines we're tasting, uh, most of the wines we're going to taste beforehand will have been Mathilde and, um, and her brother Hubert working um, with uh, Etienne. And uh, one or two of the older ones obviously would have been pure Etienne. So, quelques mots sur le domaine Griveau? Oui, bien sûr. Good evening, everybody. I'm very happy to be here. Um, so, domaine Griveau is located in Vaudromane. Uh, with my brother, we are the sixth generation to take over this family estate. And our first vintage with our dad was in 2010. So, since this vintage, the idea is we do more and more with my brother and our dad does less and less. And it's great because my father has a huge experience. His first vintage was 1982. And we have a very nice relationship together. And he has the experience and we have like the new energy. And we want to go in the same way all together. And we are very lucky because we love exactly the same things. We love the freshness of Pinot Noir. We love the purity. Uh, we love the sophistication. So since 2010, vintage after vintage, we, I think, increase uh, together the, the quality of, uh, of the Gribo wines. Uh, we produce only Pinot Noir grape varieties, 18 different applications, uh, some in Rue Saint-Georges, the biggest part in Von Romanet. Uh, also one appellation in Chambol-Midi, village appellation, and Clos-Bougeau, Echezeau, and Richebourg. So what you've managed to put together, to put together uh, between you is pretty much all the experiment through the Grand Cru vineyard. There are a couple missing, which we'll doubtless talk about. Um, but otherwise, um, are you happy for us to kick off the first wines? I'm, I think Sebastian will be serving them in pairs. Is that right? Two at a time? Yep. So, so shall we. We're going to get bigger pours than you guys. <laughs> so, Beaumont Brule, uh, I'll talk a bit about the vintage, but first of all, maybe if Mathilde introduces the two vineyards. Uh, Jasper, just to let you know, the wines we have are the Beaumont 15 and the Rainio 16. The two that we have. Ah. Ah, okay, right. Uh, in that case, there's a it hasn't come out. There may be some other differences in order. Well, we don't have the Reno because there is no longer a single bottle left in captivity here. So, uh, so Mathilde will have to talk lucky. about it. Yeah. <laughs> you are very lucky. You, you have to explain us what is your feeling about uh, this bottle. You know, we, we have a tiny um, appellation of Reno. It's maximum one barrel and a half production. So that's why we don't have enough bottles for us. So please let us know what is your feeling. And... Um, Regno is a wonderful appellation just located on the top of La Romane Conti and, uh, and La Romane, uh, maybe one of the best Premier Cru in Bonne Romane. And you have also the Bonne Romane Premier Cru Les Beaumont, 
which is maybe one of my best appellation in uh, in von Romane because it's uh, it's always an appellation very elegant very sophisticated and I also always love the station in uh, in this appellation and it's uh, very precise about the expression of, of the terroir. I have to say normally when I'm tasting the range here it's the one that that sort of catches my eye um sure you know Reno is is more highly thought of, probably Sucho too, but um, uh, Beaumont, Beaumont works for me. So you're going to have to tell us about the Reno. Uh, the vintages, you're familiar with the broad rules about them. Uh, were you frost affected in the Reno? Yes. Yes, we, in 16, we only produce one barrel of, uh, of Reno due to the, to the frost in, the, in spring, yes. And then 15, a more generous vintage in, in every respect. Yes. So... Um, taste a bit more. Uh, Jasper, we also have now the 15 brulee. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, so Beaumont sort of overlooks brulee. Um, Grivo is very lucky. They got a nice good helping of, of brulee. And I find it one of the most characterful of the von Romanet Premier Cruise because there's a big difference depending on where you are. There's a little road that leads up into the back country out of uh, von Romanet. And once you've taken your eyes off Romanet Saint-Vivant and Richebourg on the left, uh, you go up into the hills and then you have Brulé on both sides of the road. So you've got one side which is more or less north facing, um, where Jean-Leclerc Mayo is, for example. And then uh, the Grivos are on the south-facing mm-hmm. side, as is Eugenie as well. And, uh, and then you've got, is your parcel of Beaumont absolutely next door? Yes. Yeah. Mm. And they've really redone the wall beautifully there. Um, it's, it puts DRC to shame because they've just redone the wall around the new plot of, Riech, of Richbourg and it hasn't been done in uh, dry stone walling character. Right. So, Rainier, you can tell us about it in a minute, but it'd be fascinating to hear your comparisons also between Beaumont and Brule, and we will give our thoughts. The colour's a little bit lighter in the Brule in our, our bottles. Yeah. 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 Mm. A little bit of gun flint in the um, brulee. Otherwise, it's a bit softer, but it's then got this flintiness, smoky, smoky, flinty. Yes. A long finish. The Beaumont has just got such an energy of fruit. Um, so, I mean, I'd, I'd put the Beaumont away for quite a while, yeah. But the Brulee, if need be, I think you could. I think, yeah, yes. Yeah, I think yes. you can drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it sounds as though you're getting similar thoughts. Actually, the aftertaste in that Beaumont is just spectacular. Mm. I came here and tasted once years ago, and Clive Coates had been tasting just before. And as we came in, he came out. He said over his shoulders very condescendingly, 
Oh, by the way, the Bowmore is the best of them. <laughs> Thanks, Clive. <laughs> um, how is the Rainio 16? Can you elect a spokesman for the Rainio? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Richard? I'm curious, Jasper, when you started and said it was frost effective, how does that impact the taste of the wine, or does it not? It shouldn't impact on it at all. It can affect sometimes the structure of the wine. I think it impacts the whites more than the reds. Um, my memory of 16 was that they had this incredible freshness and um, sort of compact style at the end, but with an intensity of fruit. And complexity. Yes. Mm. So, so it, there's a bit more, I, I find the Rainier 60 probably, there's just a bit more, I think the vintage comes through, a bit more sort of just sappiness and sweetness of fruit, but the, the vineyard really comes through on the palate with that. The lightness of touch, that really ethereal, uh, very delicate. For me, I find it very, very delicate on the palate, but with this sort of very unerring straight line going through. I think it's absolutely superb. Like, super. And the intensity would come from smaller berries because of the weather next year? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the frost doesn't make the berries smaller, it just means there are, there are few, yes, fewer of them. Yes. Um, but, um, I mean, it's always a difficult thing. When you have a low yield, it's sort of easy to say that there's a certain amount of goodness in the ground, and because there are fewer grapes to share it amongst, they must all get more concentrated. But it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, but it, 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 it does seem to have come out in 2016. And frankly, in 2016, we had no hope of a great year, uh, even on the very eve of the harvest. Uh, all the ripening appeared to be very uneven, and suddenly everything caught up and, and got itself back together again. Um, and we're now pretty excited about them, but um, I'm not really starting to drink any, so I don't often see them. Hello. I'm going I'm to ask Mathilde to say a little bit more about the, the, the two that we have in front of us. I'm, I'm very happy about the, the expression of these two wines. Um, 15 is a very charming vintage and also complex and uh, with a huge purity and I remember just after the bottling time this vintage when we opened bottles six months after the bottling the wines were very glamour very open and accessible and after a year a year and a half of bottle they were totally closed and I'm very happy to see now that this vintage start to be drinkable again and um, it's true that Le Beaumont is very long, very energetic, great capacity to age. Uh, we can maybe wait a few more years. And relays start to be accessible and drinkable at this time. So it's very good to know that. After those first three, what we should have next would be the 2012 Suchot. Okay. Which yeah. is yeah. what you have got. After that, we should do the... 09 Boudot, then, then the three Grand Cru's, Vougeot, Echisseau, Richebourg. Okay. Like, that, we won't be, like that, we won't be repeating any vineyards. 
Well, first of all, we've got Lee Suchot. Um, I have my thoughts on, on Suchot. We're going uh, to throw one of these away. Rats. And so Suchot sits pretty much below Brule and Beaumont. Um, the very top of Suco comes and nudges up to Beaumont. But it does depend where you are in the Sucho to exactly what style of wine you're going to make. The spot. Yeah. So what is your production of the brulee and the Souchot? You mentioned barrel, barrel and a half for the Réunion. I know the Beaumont is a bigger production for the house. What about the brulee and the Souchot? Beaumont is a bigger production and brulee, uh, when we have a normal production, uh, brulee is five barrels and uh, the Souchot is four barrels. When, when the production... Four barrels. So, 700 bottles, 1,000 bottles, 2012 is a vintage that's sort of fallen off the radar a little bit, um, which is a shame because I like it a lot. Uh, hail in um, the Côte de Bone, not in the Côte de Nuit, though I think still a small crop. Um, and then um, Suchot. Talk about Suchot, Mathilde. Um, Sucho is, we, we are very lucky this evening because Sucho is also a wonderful appellation. I'm, I like to, to tell this appellation like my little Richebourg because we can have some similar sensation when we try uh, Sucho and Richebourg because we have the spicy sensation in Sucho. Uh, I love the sophistication in, in this terroir. It's very pure uh, with a huge sophistication. Um, it's it's a, sometimes a, a little grand cru expression, and I don't know if you all agree, uh, Jasper. But it's uh, what I found about Sucho is that it starts really well. You put your nose into it, you get this beautiful fruit, and you're really excited, and then suddenly it seems to disappear on you, and you think, okay, I was expecting a bit more than that. I was expecting more follow through, and you sort of turn around and say something to your neighbour, and it, it comes back on you. And it, it suddenly rebuilds. And the image I get is because this vineyard, in fact, there's a slight dip. If you go from north to south, the, the vines drop into a little valley and come back up the other side. And it sort of does the same thing in its taste profile. Um, so the start and the finish are both superb. And then it just goes a little bit quiet in the middle, uh, which is why it's not a Grand Cru, because it's surrounded by Grand Crus otherwise um, on, on that sort of contour line. <laughs> I think it's beginning to be a time when you can really start looking at 2012. I Noise. 
Super off the pace. Phil's got really good acidity, hasn't it? Yeah, it's that straight line. It's all guy Guys, just for curious, uh, I remember you mentioning once before not all areas of Susho are equally are, are equal. How how yeah. is it because the lower you are uh, is different to the closer you are to the rich pool, or is the soil different? Is a or is it the elevation? Well, there are two things. I think in, if you're too far down in the dip, you're not going to be very good. And then there is a little patch right at the top. Nowadays, it's been called Grand Souchot, um, which is perhaps pretty uh, pretty spectacular. Um, but uh, you know, other, otherwise, most of them have the same general profile because normally the rows go... Yes. Yes. Norm, most people have got rows start up, start up Richborg side and go down and come back up. Not everybody. If you look at a detailed vineyard map, you can see it's not quite the case for everybody. But that's the general thing. Um, Mathilde was just whispering me a little taste profile. I'm I'm very happy with uh, this appellation because at the beginning it's it's a very sharp sensation, and then um, you can feel that the wine you can taste the wine in different things. Um, second after second in your mouth, the wine is like another story. Second after second, and uh, I'm very happy about the the acidity because at the end of the taste, it's very long, very energetic, um, and also very juicy. And uh, yes, it's. I think you have everything in this wine. It's it's very complex and uh, with a huge purity. It's a very mm. nice bottle. Yeah. I, I, I chose to find this well slightly the box is not quite right it's not a bad wine. But if you, the nose is totally different from the other one, very different. It's very kind of distracted in style. It's very the brown, it's quite brown in colour. I think it's I don't think we have a perfect bottle of this one. Oh, right? Okay. Oh, that's because it's got a clarity about it and a clear cut precision that um that is definitely right. This wine doesn't have that. The other, the other three wines just had this, all had this kind of appearance of right. Then it sounds like a bottle, a bottle variation. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, maybe Sorry about that. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I actually also like it. Yeah, I, did, I liked it too. Is it, could it be that this is the stylistic change? You know, Mathilde, you, you, and we've talked about this at length at the, at the domain. Your style of winemaking is a little bit different than Hekna's around the extraction. So, uh, do you find that your 12 is stylistically a little bit different to the prior, in your case, to wine? Um, it's true that vintage after vintage, we continue to increase our winemaking style. So, vintage after vintage, we, we change a few things. And I think it's true. We, last ten vintages, we, 
we continue to make a huge progression. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, there's a really good video about the, I think, 2017 year. Um, can you access it from the site? Uh, soon. There is soon. Okay, yes. which will soon appear on the site. Uh, it's in French, but there are some unbelievably good subtitles in English. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously done by a very modest man. Exactly right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, so the, um, the next wines which I suggested uh, as a pair were the Nuit Saint-Georges Boudot 2009 and the Clos Vougeot 2005. Yeah. Just to repeat, the purpose in my ordering was not just to sort of go down in, in straightforward uh, order of vintage, but was to make sure that in the wines that we do in this tasting period, we would see one example of each of the vineyards. Um, and then afterwards, afterwards you have three uh, Premier Cruise 2010 and two 2007, so it would all be accessible. Main lining on Richebourg afterwards. Louis Saint Georges Les Boudot, Au Boudot, so, I mean, at the domain, this wine is served after quite a few of the Bone Roman Premier Cruz. Um, so, and rightfully so, right on the board. Absolutely, Michael. Spot on. Jasper, you were the first one that put me onto this vineyard. You were always saying that you were very interested to try Malconsor, then Udo, then Merger. Yeah. And then see the evolution as you go across the border. Yeah. This is this is that is wonderful. And the other one that's pretty spectacular in that area is Richmond. But here is oh, I just love the nose of this, don't you? Yeah. I've been an active buyer in the secondary market. It's changed the market price. You, know, right. <laughs> you really have this brilliant marriage between a Nuit Saint-Georges style and von Romanet elements together. Um, it's the extra bit of hedonistic, <laughs> but there's a solid message always based to it. How many barrels, uh, Mathilde, do you make of the Boudot? The Boudot, um, quite a lot. Yes, quite, quite normally quite a lot, but after the 15 vintage, we decided to replant. Um, Half of uh, of the vineyard. So since uh, 15, we less than uh, the normal production. But with the full uh, plot, it's uh, 12, 13 barrels in total. Oh, okay, okay. This vineyard, this vineyard is very old. You know, my grandfather Jean. Uh, he's 93 years old, and he never went to the is maybe 93 years old or, or maybe more. So um, it's uh, it's a wonderful appellation because uh, Jasper explained us that you, you have the, the expression of the Nuit Saint-Georges uh, terroir and also the Von Roman, a little bit of Von Romane style, and it's very elegant, but 
carry by a huge powerful sensation to the very old vines. We, we have a huge complexity. Uh, we could have black fruit sensation. In 2009, it's very floral. I, I love the nose. Uh, it's very elegant, very pure, very sophisticated. And a few more tannins than any of the uh, Von Romane wines. The other thing about this vineyard, um, Etienne told me, is that they kept breaking their plows when plowing it because there's a bit in the middle where the rock comes right to the surface and uh, rips the plow up, sort of the other way around. I don't know the vintage suited the vineyard, the vineyard suited the vintage, but it seems to be right. really a very good marriage. And, you know, I remember that the great vintage for a really long time. And, and in fact, some of those tannins will come from 09, what is coming from Visa George. It's also slightly atypical for a lot of Louis can be quite rustic, but this doesn't have that rusticity. I, I think it does actually. I, I get some of that rusticity. But, but you know, compared to if you think exactly. about an Henri Gouge or ten other producers, right? Uh, this is this is this is far more put together, far more balanced, and really has that high toned red fruit rather than just overpowering you with the black fruit. Yeah, the problem, but no one else has the same tannin because Gouge capture all the tannins. They go out there first, and they've caught all the tannins in Louis Saint Georges, and they've kept them for their own winery. <laughs> Not left for anybody else. I mean that in a nice way, but I mean they love to make wines which will age 30, 40, 50 years. And Did you say this was replanted? Why was it replanted? Ah, um, you know, in Burgundy, uh, when uh, when the food dead, we we decided to replant only one when, when it needed, and. The competition between the old vines and the young vines in the same vineyard is very complicated. And in some very old vineyards like Odo, the competition was too high for, for the new plant. That's why we, we decided to, to replant a half and not one feet to one three feet in the middle of the big um, appellation. So we decided to do this in after the vintage 2015 and we replant half of the, the appellation in 2018. So um, we could start to pick the, the grapes of the new vineyards now. But you won't necessarily put them in the main wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. Voila. So, I mean, the thing about 09 is it had 2010 alongside it. And 2010 started looking so pretty so early on that everybody transferred their affections to 2010. But 09 is the vintage with a muscle for the long term. Good. And alongside that, you've got a powerful individual, Clujo 2005. When um, Frédéric Angerer and the Pinots bought Domaine Angel, uh, Frédéric Angerer said to me, okay, who makes the best Clujo? Um, I want to try and work it out. I'm trying to work out which plots are the best. And what I cited, uh, I said, well, obviously, Philippe Angel used to. Uh, Angro does, and I think Grivo does. And he said, Grivo can't possibly, their vines are all down at the bottom. Um, so if you look at the map, it's not the best situation, though that's changing with these hot, dry years. The bottom, because it retains water, is getting a lot more interesting than used to be the case. 
But actually, we then did a big tasting of Clos in Bordeaux during the Bordeaux Primeurs one year that Fred Angerer put together. And the only conclusion we came to was it makes no difference where you are. People who make good wine make the best wine. <laughs> People who are less talented make less good wine. It's true that we are, we are very lucky to have 1.86 hectares of Claude Bougeau. Uh, in one vineyard, so it's, it's a very long plot with uh, three different kinds of terroir, and it's true that the bottom of our Claude Bougeot, close to the main road, um, we, we have deeper soil, and during the 90s, it's true that we did, we did not obtain the perfect maturity of, of this part of uh, our Claude Bougeot. So my dad always separates this part of our vineyard and uh, sell to negotiant. Because it was it was not, it was not perfect to, to be a real food and you know since, you did that up to what up to when? Uh, um, until maybe the end of the nineties. Okay. And you know it's now I think it is very interesting to be in our part of Claude Vougeot because we have three different kind of terroir: deeper soil to the main road and the top of our vineyards. Close to the Chateau de la Tour, we have less soil, um, dry, very dry soil, and due to the dry summer since few vintages, we obtain a better maturity in the bottom of our Claude Bougeot. And since many vintages now, we always blend the grapes uh, during the fermentation. And the top of our vineyard gives to the cuvee a huge complexity, and the bottom of uh, the of the plot give to the cuvee uh, more harmony. And um, it's true that Claude Bougeot is a big guy with muscles and need a long time aging in bottle. But this O5 with a beautiful vintage in Burgundy, it's very, it starts to be accessible. Uh, I like the tanning touch also. No. It's I think the fruit uh, profile is accessible. It starts really well. Then you come up against this raft of tannins more than any of the other ones we've had. And then the fruit comes back behind. There's a little menthol character in there as well, which is quite intriguing. Um, the acidity is good. So it's a, it's a super concentrated vintage. I mean, there are some parallels between 2005. Um, but frankly, at home, I'm drinking, we just opened a bottle of um, Orgoyne Rouge to have my Teddy Bachelor three nights ago. We just had a glass and each night every three nights. And by the third night, it was getting better and better. But even a Bourgoyne Rouge is all going to deliver in 05. Um, and so Grand Cru, uh, I, I, I do own some, uh, some Grand Cru still in 05, and I don't think I've even opened a single bottle yet. So keep. But I like the way the food is involved in this. I think that's quite promising. Yeah, so this, this bottle comes from the Tour d'Argent. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Michael for his skinny movie. Oh, that's Jasper, why are the tannins so furry? As, 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 as you said, and something my neighbor mentioned, right? There's very huge change in tannic profile. That's largely down to the vintage. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Pogujo is known to have these quite firm tannins anyway, but it's really a vintage thing. Um, it was a little bit too dry. If there's a fault in 2005, it was the slight lack of rule. And there was less into it then than they have become since. Um, it still is so much fruit there that it's all going to resolve in time. Uh, the, the, at the moment, that little raft of tannins is, is a... You would get that in other 2005s from um, this domain and from every domain, um, but they won't be as prominent as they are in the Clobu show um, because of the vineyard. Um, but what it, why it doesn't worry me is the way that the fruit comes back afterwards and what you're left with, the final impression in your mouth is the fruit. And of course, if you're actually eating you know, a proper, a substantial dish, a sort of classic burgundy dish, your birth bourguignon alongside, then that would take away the tannins uh, in any case. So you possibly could start the vintage alongside that sort of food. It's a vintage that's going to need uh, rich food with sauces rather than something delicate and char-grilled. And I also think we, the gribo style increased a lot the, the quality of the, of the tannin touch. Mm. No, I think yeah, now, now, we, now, now in our wines, the tannin touch is more voluptuous, uh, smooth, and, and, uh, and delicate, like like a, a velours. And um, velvet. Exactly. Um, maybe if we have to start again to make the 05 vintage, at the end it could be a little bit different yes. because we, we continue to to make huge progress in our winemaking style. And, um, Can I ask, Mathilde, what do you do to change the nature of the tannins in your winemaking? Well, what do you do differently? You, you know, we, we always distem everything in our wines, but now since the 2010 vintage, we work with full berries. So we, we try to keep the integrity of the berries and we, we don't crush the berries. We, and I think uh, thanks to have a, a part of full berries in our tank during the alcoholic fermentation, uh, when we want to extract color tannins, uh, everything is more smooth, more delicate, and um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, um, uh, just an allied point to this, uh, when the 2020s were coming in, I had a chat with um, Dominique Lafont uh, about his reds, and he said, I'm really going to be careful here because I don't want to extract as much tannin with 2020 as I did with 2005. It was the clear parallel that he, that, that he had in mind, um, which is interesting. Even people of my generation are still learning. I'm just curious, um, Mathilde, um, remember um, Etienne mentioned last time he was in Hong Kong, no stems, or you guys don't use stems. I guess that's still the case today. Still no 2020, no, 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 you know, we oh. sometimes we want to try, but yeah. we always find a good reason to always do <laughs> stems. <laughs> Have you ever experimented with stems? No, you know, ma many producers no. are, are very good with full bunch, uh, but you know, I, I think you, you, need, you need to be very focused on it, and I need, I think you. It's very important to want to do, and we always find a reason to always distem everything. So we 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 are we 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 know full berries, and 
this is um feeling so i think it's it's good to continue on on this way yeah. right so we have two more wines and i suggest that we probably look at them singly rather than together because they deserve to be looked at one by one Sushou, and you had a Sushou 12, and now we got the Eshiso 12. Uh, was this, at this point, had you got your extra vineyards? I think yes. Yes. Lamadon yes. had arrived. Yes. Yeah. It's a deeper color than the Sushou was. Um, we have a very slightly reductive nose mm -hmm. in ours. I don't know. Whereas the sushi was pure and clear fruit, this has gone into itself a little bit, a bit reductive. You really talk to the people who gave me the bottle about provenance and storage. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can throw them out now if you want, Jasper. <laughs> we tried at the start, Adam, but it didn't work. The squirrels white. Okay, so let's keep thinking. The RS fruit is now coming up through that reduction, and it's it's heavenly, frankly. So tell us a bit about where your Eshazo is. Yes, we are very lucky to be located in in Les Cruyaux area. It's maybe one of the best parts uh, of the of the Eshazo, and uh, also uh, very old vines. Um, always a wonderful appellation. It's true that our bottle is, is a little bit reduced, and um, I, I'm not surprised because Eshozo is is always a, an appellation with a huge energy. And um, inside the bottle, I have the feeling that that this appellation don't have enough space to to can evolve, and I oh, think I like it, it needs uh, maybe more times to be perfectly drinkable, but. Yeah. Uh, the noise is a little bit reduced, but I also love the spicy sensation, and I'm very impressed about the, the quality of the, um, the taste in the mouth. Very powerful, um, also spicy sensation. Very long, 
it's it's natalation is a huge complexity uh very elegant um i think we again continue to make a, a a huge evolution with the tannin touch and in this appellation is better, better vintage after vintage. Mm. There's a sweetness to the fruit that we've hardly seen before in the other wines. What do you reckon? shouldn't be reduced but um there's a greater density of fruit in our bottle compared to the sous show by actually quite a big margin that's um, uh, fabulous uh, I, jasper i've always found with brivo ashes though the intensity and fruit profile is actually quite powerful when you then compare it with primitive of the same vintage yes fair to say yes Okay, good. Um, there's a question that we could ask uh, Mathilde, this is the family own their own uh, vineyards in Eschesso. And then in, I think, 2011, but Mathilde will confirm, um, another family in the village called Lamadon retired, <coughs> retired, and they spread their vineyards between uh, Louis Michel, Ligebelle, uh, La Marche, and Rivo. And I'm going to ask, did that change the character of your Eschesso when you got the extra vineyards? Uh, this extra vineyard is not a, a big one. It's, oh, okay. It maybe represents only 15 or 20 percent of the final cubic. So it's not uh, it's not a big proportion. Okay, so not enough to change things. I think that's a wonderful wine. And uh, Mathilde said she thought it really needed to be open for 24 hours. And then you get it at its best. We have Jasper, we bore, we have been served the rich pool seventeen. Good, okay. That's what we have too. Yes. Our Richbourg seventeen got a different form of product. It's like having a little bit of on the nose. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Okay, well, pray silence for Mathilde's talk about this
Okay. Um, as you know, Richbourg is our best country in, in, in the cellar. Um, this appellation is always very interesting to try because um, my dad, and I really agree with him, um, we can try the Richbourg like an iceberg. That means that the, the part you can see is uh, nothing comparing that the biggest part you, you have in the water for the iceberg. And I think Richbourg is similar. Um, Richbourg at the beginning could be a little bit introvertized and very shy. Uh, and then minute after minute can give you the story and then another one and, and a, a big, big evolution. And it's, um, this appellation is, is always very spicy, sophisticated, and my dad loves to speak about um, oriental uh, sensation. Yes, the souk. The souk, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This appellation is very, always very powerful. Um, it, it's a gentleman. This appellation is a, is a real gentleman. And in addition to this vintage, 2017 is a very charming and elegant uh, vintage. Uh, at the domain, we started again to open a few bottles. We opened uh, last week some village appellation in 17, and I was very happy to see the good evolution of, uh, of this uh, very drinkable vintage. Take a little while for me to, to get in into the nose of this wine. You can tell it's a massive beast. Um, Lovely. Yeah. It's a lot there, but it's also approaching. You can start approaching it. Very happy. Very balanced. Very balanced. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, when um, a certain friend of ours, who, who may easily be in the room with you, uh, organized <laughs> a vertical tasting of um, Rivo Richbourg, uh, and Etienne very wisely suggested that we should do the from the oldest vintages through to the youngest. And then when we'd all tasted them, Etienne talked to us saying where they had made a technical change, where his understanding of what winemaking, specifically Richbourg, uh, were about, how that developed. And then he said, okay, and this year I realized that I needed to find a way to get around this issue, which doesn't please me. And then he said, but two years later, that was the year when I actually found the way to get around it. And so he went through. And so Etienne and Marielle, his wife, were there. Um, uh, Mathilde and Hubert were there. And then at the end of it, this ext extraordinary tasting, wonderful tasting of Richbourg's. And at the end of it, this amazing um, explanation of everything he'd done, Etienne burst into tears. It was such an emotional moment for him. And he'd never, ever done a tasting of that form before. He'd never had the opportunity. So... Before and after. Or, or after, after, after either. Yes. It was an incredible, incredible moment. Uh, and we've done some verticals of other producers, uh, Richborg, and not had, not had the same sensations that we got out of that tasting. Thank you, Richard. Yes, thank you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, it was a great pleasure. That was a 
it, it stays in my mind that one of the really fabulous tastings that uh, we've ever done. So the 17, I mean, it's, it's got more to go, but it's, it's a vintage that you can dive into earlier than most. Mm. So, mm. the fruit wants the fruit wants to say you can drink me. The structure still says no. It's, it's too much, too powerful. Good acidity as well as just the right tannins. Um, so, it's a shame to drink it now, but but it's not completely unreasonable to give it a try. Mm. And the aftertaste, of course, is, so the, is the longest of all of them, yeah. So, while we have the, the privilege of having uh, Mathilde here, is there anything that you'd like to ask her about the domain where, where, where she may be taking it and... Uh, Anything else? Any other thoughts in general or about the wines to come for you this evening? What's the what's your most favorite wine you've ever made? Ah, <laughs> that's a very difficult question. Favorite <laughs> child. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it depends on the vintage. Okay. Each vintage, I'm always proud of an appellation. Um, you know, we, we're very lucky because uh, in Paris we produce 18 different appellations. So, some of our appellations were good, but maybe sometimes, uh, I, firstly, I, I'm thinking about the Vendormanet, which is a, a nice Premier Cru appellation in Vendormanet, but our vineyard is not perfectly located, and sometimes les chaumes um, need more sophistication. And for example, in 18, in 2018, 2019, and 2020, maybe thanks to the dry summer, this appellation um, take a more complexity, more sophistication. And I'm very proud of, of this appellation. Um, and in other vintages, I would be very happy about uh, the expression of the South Nuit Saint-Georges terroir we have, like Nuit Saint-Georges Premier Cru Roncière and Prullier, which is two very different um, wines. They are two neighbors, Roncière and Prullier are neighbors, but the expression of Roncière and Prullier are very different. Um, but of course, I, I love I love Le Beaumont uh, because even even if it's a, a difficult and a vintage, Le Beaumont will be always a beautiful appellation. So this is very complicated, but I think it depends on vintages, and I'm always very proud of uh, all the appellations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you didn't get one single uh, uh, wine. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was. Um, you know, one of the things that in an earlier period, um, it's easy to make great wine and make great vintage. But I remember the 1994s that um, uh, Etienne made in a vintage that everybody's long since forgotten, Rifkel. But for me, that was the one 
to put um, the domain on my personal map. Mm -hmm. I thought he uh, made some stunners. But you, you know, it's we, we, we don't have to lose that um, with my bro with my brother, yes, Hubert. We started to make wine in 2010, and we never produced, we, we never had to vinificate a difficult vintage. We, I think my generation uh, don't know uh, bad grapes. Of course, we, we had other difficulties like dry, dry summer, uh, frost during spring, hail, but we never had to make wines with um, grapes without a perfect maturity or big proportion of disease. And that's why we, we vintage after vintage, we <laughs> have to be very focused and we, we always want to be a, a better vintage than the last one. It's very important. Well, well, well. So can I ask you if climate change is a concern over like the last 20 years? It feels like picking used to be late September. Now it's almost late August. Uh, uh, and, and at some point, will it become a challenge to get that right balance of phenolic maturity? And, you know, just, just you, you won't be able to pick the right grapes one and then does it matter if your vineyards are high on the hills versus we were talking over Clos show the base? You know, closer to the closer to the road is better because you have more retained water. How much do you think, as you think about the next twenty years, is that a concern? It's true that the, the weather is, is a is the new big challenge of my generation. Um, I think at Domaine Griveaux we are very lucky. Yeah. Our vineyards, um, our clones, and also our work during the vegetative cycle give us the capacity to, to wait the perfect maturity of the skin. And these last few vintages, uh, warmer vintages, we, we could wait the perfect maturity of the skin. And we were not one of the first domain to start to pick the grapes. And we don't observe uh, high alcoholic degrees and less acidity balance. It's it's quite complicated to, to explain because it's many things um, and it's a long time ago, but it's true that 18, 19, and 2020, we don't have huge alcoholic degrees. All the ones are between 13 and maybe 14 alcoholic degrees, so it's not too high for this kind of vintage. And we observe a concentration of the acid. So you have the complexity, you have, of course, a kind of richness that carry by a huge energy thanks to a perfect balance of, uh, of the acid. And during the harvest, we are very focused on the evolution of the maturity of each terroir. And it's true that 10 years ago, we always picked the grapes in the same um, order. We start with the Bourgogne, then Von Romane village, then Saint Georges village, Premier Cru, and, and, and at the end of the harvest, the Grand Cru. So it's true that we, we need to, to change a little bit the, the picking of the grapes, but it's, uh, we, 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 we know our vineyards, we, we work in the vineyard every day, so we can see if, the, if we observe some water stress in some vines, so we could pick the grapes here earlier or not, or we are very close of uh, all things in our Until we have one question that we ask everyone that we speak with. If you could own one vineyard, which would it be? 
that you don't own? Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, we are we are looking we are looking out into the back garden of yes. the Maidla Romani Conti. I can tell you. Um. <laughs> Wait, can, can you show us? Can you show us? I'm uh, not sure. How cool is that? Uh, oh! Yeah, you can oh. see the rows of vines up there. Let me change that because uh, Matthew Lucas in Romane. Is there a vineyard outside the village of Von Romane, Flesh So is there a. Uh, maybe some amoureuse. I love this um, village. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Some white wine. Why not? We produce only red, so some shadows from the Cotonou. So, Mathilde, why amoureuse and not Lusini? Ah, that's a. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't try enough Lusini to maybe have good answer, but uh, I, I, I love amoureuse. I love, um, I love this the expression of this terroir. So um, that's why, and and because I, I, I can't buy some Lusini, not amoureuse also, but. Yes, Amoureuse is uh, one of my favorite terroir in Chambon. There we go. So, so you've got a few more treats in store, as I say, uh, one 2010 and two 2007 Premier Cruise, all of which should be in a perfect place to drink. Yes. Fully minimal, I would reckon. Um, and then Eschesso 07. It'll be very interesting to compare the Sushi and the Eschesso in the same vintage again. Uh, if you have those side by side, uh, yeah, and then 10, 9, 7, 0, and 1991, Richbourg. A rare beast that 1991 because that was another frost vintage, so another short year. It's my brother vintage, also. So, okay, so drink to Uber when you taste that. Yes, wow, Not very nice selection. So, uh, unless you have any last questions. Um, we will leave you to enjoy your meal. Uh, thank you all for um, being with us. And thank you, Sebastian, who's shy and has disappeared. And have a great rest of the evening. And um, thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy your dinner. Thank you. Thank you, Jasper. Thank you, Matilda. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers.